Well, good morning, church. Welcome to each one of you this morning on this Sunday morning where we're going to gather together to worship our great God. And we start with a hymn, a hymn of praise written in celebration, in celebration of a life changed. And so I invite you to stand and join us in singing these words, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Never grow. There are so. 
that one more time. There are so. There are so what is that word? It's named Jesus. 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 One more time. Jesus. The verse we've been singing says, let the, let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim or say so. And we're going to do that together, lifting up the name. If the psalm writer said, or the songwriter we just sang said, if I had a thousand tongues, I would use them to praise his name. So we're going to proclaim his name. I'm going to sing a line and ask you to sing it after me. Okay? It goes like this. So let the redeemed of the Lord say your turn right now. Oh. So
So what we're going to do instead of shaking hands is either keep your hands, you know, to yourself somehow, stick them in your pocket or whatever, and greet somebody and find out what their favorite vacation has been in the last two years. All right. Go about it. Thank you. 
So over the past several years, I have gone through a faith transformation. Some takes, sometimes it takes a few life changes to make you see just how much God truly loves you. During 2016, I went through multiple changes in my life. First, I left the life I knew for the past 18 years to continue my education and attend college. However, life had another lesson for me to teach me. The lessons of life with pain and loss. I lost my grandfather that October. His passing left not only a hole in my family, but in myself. I couldn't understand why God had left this hole in my heart, but it wasn't until I met my roommate of now three years that I was able to truly understand God a little better. During times of loss and pain, there's also joy and love. She helped me to understand this. She also bestowed upon me some wisdom that her own pastor shared with her. God only ever answers us in three ways. Yes, maybe, or I have something better than you could possibly imagine. These words have had a tremendous impact on my life. It has helped me to solidify my understanding that while there are moments in life that are awful and sometimes impossible to understand, there's also times where there's unbelievable joy and love. In the past year alone, I have been faced with many struggles, as have we all. But God also gave me some incredible joys. He gave me some fun times with family, a new adventure that allowed me to fly above the clouds, and the ability to show that love he gave me to my family, someone special, and the people I work with. Because of all of these things, I have come to believe that as long as there's faith, hope, and love in the world, we can overcome any challenge that presents itself because Jesus is on our side. Which is why I am here today, to proclaim and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, for which I will follow him for all the rest of the days of my life. Excellent. Thank you, Megan. Megan, have you repented of your sins and placed your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. Based on your profession of faith and obedience to the Lord's commands, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's so good to be able to celebrate with Megan her proclamation of her Lord and uh, baptism. So this is going to be a routine that we have here at LEFC and something that we do on a regular basis. We open up the baptistry for a special time of celebrating what God has been doing in people's lives. If you haven't been baptized, or in the case of some who've been baptized there, they were baptized as infants but don't remember any part of it. It wasn't their proclamation. It was their parents' proclamation. If that was you... Let us know, and, and we would love to have you be a part of a baptism in the near future. So the contact information is on the screen, or just call the office and let us know that desire. As well, I want to let you know that today, in se after second service, right around the corner, just right outside these doors, we're going to have a baptism, another baptism, and Tyler um, Morris is going to baptize four young people. And they're going to tell their story. I think that's the best part of it for me, just hearing their story of how God has worked in their lives. So join us, if you can, for that special time soon after we end second service today. As we move forward, we'll be collecting. Um, yeah, that was the way we used to do it. Um, we're going to be allowing time for giving. And there are four ways of giving listed on the screen. And we encourage you to give as an act of worship 
as we sing these words.
close our eyes and sing that line. Great are you, Lord. church. Great are you. Well, good morning. Every time I hear that bumper video and it has that heartbeat sound, I was like, yeah, that's about the rhythm mine's going right now. But uh, some people wonder, you know, do you get nervous, uh, you know, ever speaking? And, and, you know, I think it was Michael Jordan, and please understand, I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan. Um, but uh, he was the one that said he got uh, butterflies every time before every game. And, uh, and I would say that there's always just a little bit more of a, a paced heartbeat before I come up because I recognize the importance of our time that we're about to enter into. And uh, so, as we've been doing during the book of Psalms, which we began uh, in July, is taking the time to do the Psalms differently as we get into them and read them, uh, because we recognize that the Psalms were meant 
for repetition. Uh, they were often put to tunes so that they can be recalled and remembered. I mean, you can remember the lyrics of a song uh, years later because you hear the tune and you're able to recollect it. So also the Psalms are the same. You know, for many of those who grew up under the Hebrew traditions, they know the Psalms when they hear certain tunes and songs. And so uh, we have not done that as part of it, but, you know, each week we have done images, reading, uh, last week, we with Psalm 10, in light of the heaviness of such a text, we actually kept the lights on intentionally uh, and read in more of the brightness of the moment. But today, Psalm 139 may actually be one of the most written about psalms when it comes to psalms of today. And so we're going to be a little bit more similar to the Hebrew tradition and involve song with the reading of the psalms. And so I'm going to ask you now to turn your Bibles or turn your, it might be best initially to use a phone if you have a Bible app or a tablet uh, and go to Psalm 139. And this morning we are going to intersperse song into the reading of this Psalm 139. So would you join in this time of worship? We would like if you would... Um... Just follow after, listen closely. The subtitle of this current sermon series is A Conversation with God. The conversation is two-way. So we listen and we respond and then we listen again. It's going to be times of reading, times of worship, times of just waiting. So we'd encourage you to just focus your heart and join us worship through Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid down your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Search me, O oh God, and know and said 
can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your, your right hand will hold, hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, they saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Spirit come 
give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, so give us clean hands, oh God, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Slay the wicked, O oh God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries, they misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, God. Test me and, and know, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. what you put upon David's heart to write all those years ago that it will now speak to our heart and may David's prayer become our prayer search us oh God in Jesus name I pray
So children in the room, you have an opportunity to contribute uh, to the body of Christ, the church. We have a coloring sheet that's inside the bulletin, and if you take the time to color it and you want to uh, let others see it, we have displays out by the baptistry, and you're welcome to take it over there and put it on uh, the strings there to display for others to see. And then that's your opportunity to encourage others. So, have you ever said one of the following phrases? Don't move anything, or I will not know where to find it again. Somebody ever told you that they did something really kind for you, and, and they said, you know, while you were away, I cleaned your room for you. Or what happened to me a few years ago when a custodian said, hey, I saw that your office needed a little help, so I cleaned your desk off for you. Moments of panic immediately ensue. You see, my desk can get a little bit more cluttered the more stress that things can happen, and you can kind of tell like how much is going on based on how my desk looks. But what really is behind, don't move anything, or I'll not know where to find it. It's usually a fear of change. Change because it's like, I like how things are. Don't mess with it. How about this phrase? I don't do doctors. They just give me bad news. Have you ever said that or thought that? I don't do doctors. They just give me bad news. And the reason for that is basically I don't want to be told what really is wrong. I would rather be in the ignorance side of things, nativity. I don't want to have to make some changes again. Or what about this? What I don't know won't kill me. What I don't know won't kill me. Which is, again, a pursuit of ignorance is bliss. I'm better off not knowing what's going on around me, so just keep me there. And I'll be a happy person. Because maybe you might say that because you're the type of person that's like, if I know about it and I know it's wrong, I'm going to feel compelled that I have to do something about it. So if I don't know about it, then I'm all good. You see, the truth behind each of these statements is that in reality, we like to control our own personal narrative. We don't want somebody in our business we want to keep things as they are, and we really don't want anything that's going to kill the spirit of the day. So, don't tell me, and we'll all be just fine. The reality is, is that as much as we would like to live in ignorance, or we would like to live in the unknowns, or to keep things as they are and avoid change, God knows. God also makes changes, and God gets in your business. The psalmist here, David, wrote this, and he begins with the statement, You have searched me, Lord. It's a declaration. It's not a petition. It's a declaration. You have searched me, and you know me. You see... In this and the following verses, 
David begins to acknowledge that, quite frankly, not only has God already done this, but God has done this centuries before we ever took our first breath. He knows us, he searched us, and he knows us to details that we can't even count for ourselves. Consider what's said in the following verses after verse 1. It says, you know when I sit down and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. So basically, in this statement, the beginning of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3, God says, I know every action that is going to happen in your life today and tomorrow and the day after that and beyond. I've known everything that you are going to do throughout your days before you ever took your first breath. In other words, God knows your itinerary for today, even for those of you who do not like to organize anything about your day. God knows it. For those of you that have parsed every minute of your itinerary for the day, God knows it. He knows when you're going to actually stand. He knows when you're going to sit down. He knows when you're going to wake. He knows when you're going to go down to sleep. He knows it all. He knows exactly when your first bite of meal will be after this service. He knows exactly what happened at breakfast. He knows what's going to happen for dinner. He knows your schedule that intimately. Even a schedule that you may not have marked out as of yet. At the end of verse 2, he says I, that he knows your thoughts before you even think them. In fact, he perceives them from afar. So, He's known the very thoughts that you're thinking right now. He's known about them forever. He's always known them. It has not escaped him. You're just now realizing what he's already known. Now here's where it gets a little uncomfortable. It says that God has searched you and he knows you. He knows everything about your day before you do. And he knows the things you're going to think before you've even thought them. Now, what if God was to take what he knows and reveal them to others? What if God chose to put on these big screens behind me everything that you've thought this past week? If I was to say your name that God's about to show on the screen, your thoughts, could you stay in the room? If you're saying yes, you're lying. I would be right out the door. I mean, quite frankly, our thoughts betray us, do they not? The mature person is the one that can keep those thoughts from becoming words. But yet, that's something that also God says. Before a word, in verse 4, you've ever spoken it, he knows it. It's getting a little intimate when God says, I know your thoughts before you've thought them. I know the words you've said before you've said them. And in the, at the end of verse 3, he basically says, and I know your temperament. I know your tendencies. I know your habits. So he knows everything about you. 
words, thoughts, before you've thought them, before you've said them. Your habits, he knows them intimately. He knows your manner by how you're going to do something, how you're going to respond to other people. And according to verse 5, where he's hemmed you in before and after this idea that God knows everything from the bookends of your life, from your first breath to the end. And everything in between, he's cared for it. In fact, he's cared for it intimately. It says, you have hemmed me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. It's that authority. Again, anytime you see the psalmist say, your hand, it is about authority and an assertion. And the psalmist, David, says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. In other words, too incredible to conceive. I mean, think about this. That every person here in this room, every person that's listening uh, from home right now, God knew every thought and every action and every word before they ever happened and always has. Let your mind grasp that. That's difficult. I can't fathom it, and nor could David. He says, too wonderful for me to think of, too impossible for me to ever attain understanding of it. Trust me, we try. Every theologian has tried to make sense of the infinity of God, only to try to describe it in great detail with periods at the end of sentences. It doesn't work. God is beyond beginnings and ends. But if God truly has searched us and he knows us that intimately, would it cause us to want to then run from him? It's like, I really don't want that kind of vulnerability. I mean, a lot of human beings run from that. We would prefer to avoid any sense of vulnerability with other people. Maybe our spouses, but even then, sometimes we don't like when our spouse gets into our business. Moms and dads, between them and their children, and their children, especially as they get older, really don't like them getting into their business. But yet God knows everything. He has searched it, and he understands it. He knows your tendencies. He has a profile on you that's explicit. So the psalmist then says, knowing the natural tendency of mankind would be to try to hide from such vulnerability, he says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You can't. There's nowhere you can hide. In the beginning of verse 8, he says, you could try to go to the heavens, but he's there. I mean, think about that. This is being written in a time where the highest a human being could go would be the highest mountain or the highest building you could possibly make. I mean, think about it. What was the Tower of Babel all about? To get higher than God's wrath. Doesn't work, does it? There is no height you can go to to escape the presence of God. Nor is there, according to the last part of verse 8, the ability to go lower or to dig deeper in such a manner that you could escape the presence of God. I mean, it says there, it says, in, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
Now, in the Hebrew, the word depths there is Sheol. Now, for those of you that know a little bit of Hebrew, you'll know that's also a term that is interchangeable with hell. But in this case, it, it's referring to that which is the center of the earth. That which is the furthest away from the surface. So in other words, if it was possible for somebody to get to the very depths of the earth, God's still there. You can't escape his presence. You can fly. You can't escape his presence. You could get to the universe as we are discovering over the, our lifetimes that we can travel a decent distance now into beyond our atmosphere, but it's still small compared to the greater universe. But we can't escape God. You know, it's fascinating that when you listen to some of the recordings of the first astronauts, depending on which recording you listen to, one basically quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him when I consider the sun, the moon, and the stars? Another starts quoting Genesis 1. It's fascinating. Just when you think you can escape the perils of earth or maybe escape accountability, even then, men that weren't necessarily God-fearing realized there's God. There has to be God. I can't escape him. I'm only finding that he's bigger than the earth that I walk on. It also says in verses 9 and 10, it talks about this idea. Well, what if I could escape to the furthest horizon? As far as my eye can see, can I leave the presence of God? This is where it's really cool that, you know, uh, sailors write about when they're out in the middle of the ocean, how they can see just so far into the distance on calm days and clear days. And they can see, you know, just the furthest horizons. And, and they write awesome uh, lyrics to, to different poems and, and songs, that even some of which were written in the text of Scripture when they see the horizon. And David says, the furthest horizon, you cannot escape the presence of God. Even on earth where you can see horizons. Now, here in Lancaster County, you can't see beyond the next hill. But if you were to drive through the middle parts of the country, I, I, I had a good laugh when Joel Lingenfelter, our executive pastor, was driving from California out here. He was driving through Kansas knowing that I'm from there, and he says, I'm pretty confident I'm seeing the curvature of the earth. And he's correct. He took a picture through his windshield, and it, yeah, you pretty much see in the horizon a little bit of a curve. And, it, and it's just fascinating that as far as you can see there, again, you cannot escape the presence of God. Well, how about in darkness? I've shared before about experiences of spelunking or going into caves and going so deep and the light's going out and you can fan your hand in front of your eyes, cannot see any movement whatsoever. Look what it says in verses 11 and 12. It says, surely darkness can hide me and the light of night become night around me. But even in the darkness will not be dark to you, God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What may seem absolutely dark that could 
maybe make you feel so uh, less vulnerable from being seen. God is like, well, I've created all things. I see right through that. There's nothing hidden from my sight. So all the possibilities that mankind could do to avoid this searching of their heart would be a futile attempt. God knows. God knows. And every effort we can make to try to hide from him, God still knows. The psalmist goes on and continues to get more and more intimate about how much God knows. Consider the 13 to 16 when it says, For you created my inmost being. So the interior side of me, even down to the spirit and soul of me, you have knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has searched us with all the fullness of knowledge that we don't even care to know about ourselves and can't even recall about last week. He knows. And his presence, we can't escape that knowledge. He is going to see every move we make, regardless of how deceitful we think we are being. But the same God is both designer and creator. One thing I've learned about building while we were constructing this new church facility is that there is a difference between designer and builder. The designer can come up with a lot of details. In fact, the details that, that go into the walls of this facility that are very important to the design and its structure to make sure it stands and operates as intended. But the builder who didn't design it builds to spec. And they are able to make that a reality. And most designers have no ability to construct. And most construction workers have no ability to design. So if a designer created something and it starts to break, it's not the designer that is able to fix it. The designer might be able to investigate and figure out what's wrong, but eventually it's going to require somebody on the constructive side to fix God is both designer and creator of us. He designed us as we are, and he created us, which then means he knows us intimate enough to diagnose, and because he created us, he knows how to fix. We cannot escape his knowledge of us. He has searched us deeply. He, we cannot run from him. And this very God that we're trying to hide from, is the one who designed us and he made us. God is, yes, God is the creator who has fearfully and wonderfully made us. God is the source of your design. When you think about this under understanding of fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully suggests intentionality with great precision. Wonderfully suggests with purpose and awe of purpose. How incredible is that? 
that we are made with more than just dust of the earth, but that we are also made with spirit. And everything's being formed and created before there's actual body. Because he knows the storyline, as it says in verse 16. The story of your life is known and written before any of it came to be. Think about this. The moment you breathe your first, and the moment you breathe, will breathe your last, God knows. He knows the manner by which your birth came. He knows the manner by which your death will come. He knows what your final thoughts will be. He knows what your first words were. God as designer and creator is also fully cognizant and aware of everything that's going to happen in your life. And as a result of being creator and designer, he is at work and doing work in your life to bring about the greatest possible purpose of your life. Verses 17 to 24 are now when the psalmist, in considering all these things, begins to be blown away. By the vastness of God's knowledge, the wonderful aspect of his intimacy of us, and his investment in our lives on a daily basis, he now begins to praise God. How incredible. Again, he already has said, my thoughts cannot understand all of this. I can't grasp it. But then when I realize that not only does he know all of this stuff, but he's invested and he is working to bring about these purposes in our lives, I praise him. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, those thoughts that know everything about my life. And how incredible is the sum of it all. It would overwhelm any of us if we were trying to add to our knowledge all the thoughts and words said by somebody else. Let alone, God knows that about each and every person. All seven to eight billion people on the planet. He knows their thoughts. He knows their itinerary. He knows everything about them. But then that brings me to what David says in verses 19 to 22. He's like, but if there's this God who's so incredible, who is so holy, who is so invested, if this is true, then why is it that we defy God's leadership of our lives? Why would we ever stand against him? And so you start seeing this little bit of indignation that's starting to come up in him. So look at verse 18. It says, if I were to count all these thoughts, and they would become like the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. But if only you, God, would then slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak evil of you. Aver these adversaries misuse your name. And will I not also hate those, God, who hate you? I have nothing but hatred for them. And I count them my enemies. But keep in mind, David would be confronted as being a man of blood himself. A man who had done much sin and would have to humble himself before God. 
Matthew Henry summarized this last bit of the text with these three thoughts. Of course, when you consider the omniscience of God, the all-knowingness that he has of our lives and all that happens around us, and we consider the omnipresence of God and that he's everywhere, that we can't escape him, and that he knows each of us intimately and was there in our creation in the womb and knew about all those things before we were ever born. Admiration and praise to God is the natural response. But it is also true that when we start exalting how holy God is, then we become angry by what isn't holy around us. A holy, as Matthew Henry says, a holy detestation to sin and to those who defy God in outright rebellion. We become angry. How is it that we can treat this great God, this all-knowing God, this all-present God, how can we treat him so poorly? But then David becomes humble. Don't forget, he starts his psalm with saying, God, you have searched me, and you know me. And in his humility at the end, he invites that searching to continue. Verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And as Matthew Henry said, it's a holy satisfaction to personal integrity. See, David realizes that, wait, I have been in rebellion towards God. Wait, there are things in my life that is not right with God. There are things that I've not done that I, that I should have done, and there are things that I have done I'm ashamed of. By this point, he had already murdered. He had already committed adultery. This was not hidden from the nation, and it certainly was not hidden from God. So what does he say? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Two weeks ago, I shared on my weekly video about a verse that meant something to me 20 or uh, over 20 years ago. It's actually now been 30 years. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayers, and I will heal their land. I know a lot of people right now, both home and here, have had a lot of anxious thoughts. Their concerns are undoing their spirit. You see, I think the anxious thoughts reveal what matters most to our hearts. And I think sometimes the initially those anxious thoughts are in a good place. They're, they're anxious because we see so much that's wrong and not right. 
But then somewhere along the line, that attempt to control the narrative or the attempt to control that which is there, we become judgmental, we become angry, we become anxious, and we become riddled by worry. We become disappointed. We begin to separate over opinions. What if what was going on so wrong in our country these days, what if we took God at his word and trusted him for a moment and believed him that if you want to see your country change, it must begin with you. Those who are called by my name. What if they took David's direction and said, God, search my heart. Test me and reveal what are my anxious thoughts. And if there's something offensive in me, change me. And lead me in a way that is more everlasting. What if we appealed to God and said, instead of changing other people's hearts, God, maybe my heart's the one that needs changed. If I can be a little bit more bold, Things will not get fixed in our country by fixating on those who don't give a flip about Jesus. Let me repeat. Things will not be fixed in our country by fixating on all the ills of those who couldn't care less about the name of Jesus. Things will only change if the church is fully surrendered and in love with Jesus Christ. I love my country, and I love the region I live in within this country, but I love Jesus more, and so should all of us, and so should I when I become too fixated on the ills that are around me. What if I surrendered to Jesus and bent my knee in humility and maybe say, Perhaps our country is the way it is because of me. We say the country needs Jesus. Correct. But the way Jesus shows himself is through his church. So we have to ask, is what is going on in my life reflecting the hope that Jesus offers there was a day when each of us, if you are a child of God and you have bear Jesus' name, there was a day when you bent the knee and said, I recognize I am a sinner that cannot fix myself. I appeal to the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And I appeal to that work saving me from the death of my sins, which is due me. And by his work and my trust in that work, and my surrender to his lordship. And by faith in all of that, I discover life. I discover life. People, that is what our nation needs. And they will not see it 
if there's not a light that is shining through those who bear that name. Jesus was the one that says, I am the light of the world. But now I've made you the light of the world. That light comes through a person that's in communion with Jesus. So I say again, search my heart, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What is it that's way too much of a mattering upon my soul that I've lost the love for Jesus, that I have not allowed Jesus to correct my own sin. And then appeal, Lord Jesus, lead me. Lead me to your life that is better, that is more lasting. And then maybe, just maybe, revival begins in my heart. Because I believe if revival begins in your heart and in the heart of the person sitting next to you, and the person sitting next to them, that the church will begin to be a bright light in a society that needs to hear the message of the gospel, the hope found in Jesus. And if we begin to shine like that, then the harvest we've been praying for will happen where people will come to Jesus realizing there is where hope can be found. But this journey begins in the heart of each of us. So will you pray with me now in petitioning God to search your heart and to search mine? Jesus, you've done the work. I can't do it. And by your Holy Spirit, you've, you've entered in and you become that inner voice and you speak to us and you confront us. But many of us have allowed the anxieties of the season to become the greater voice. Would you cut through the fog of all of that and begin to speak by the power of your Holy Spirit into each heart now, both at home and here? I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. During this song, it's meant as an invitation to take the time during the song to ask the Lord to search your heart. And I believe that that can be a prayer that you can pray as couples, with, as families, or if you would like somebody to pray with you. We're going to have people underneath both screens on my right and left that will be willing to pray with you. Seize this time to begin a journey of saying, Lord, search my heart. Allow this to be your invitation to join David's journey of letting God lead your life. Jesus.
stand at our feet and sing this together? I lay down my life. Lay down my life. Lay down my cross. says at the beginning of the psalm but then his heart became no God search me and know whatever is wrong with me so that I may be led into a different direction we want to provide the opportunity for you to come and pray you can bring family units up we'd love to pray for you and being able to say Lord work in the hearts of those that are in this household may you also show your light may the anxieties dissipate may the confidence that is found in the Lord 
who works in our hearts deeply and knows us be the cares over my home. We want to be able to provide that so that the prayer people will be available for some time after the service. And as we said earlier, there'll be some baptisms here and a little bit uh, out by the baptistry. May the Lord use this text to search our hearts and to lead us into a season of revival that begins with individual revival and then, Lord willing, a collective church movement, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world that so desperately needs it. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Take it all.